HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Culture and Flavor is a podcast about food and culture centered in Black and Indigenous foodways. Hosted by myself, Zella Palmer, right here in New Orleans, Louisiana. Each episode features high vibrational conversations with cultural bearers, chefs, farmers, scholars, barbecue pitmasters, and more. Where there is flavor, there is history. Join me on Culture and Flavor and all of my guests as we share stories that will have you praise dancing, cooking, conjuring, and inspiring your culinary journey. Nico, tanto tiempo. Welcome to Culture and Flavor. ¿Cómo has estado? ¿Bien? Todo bien, todo bien. Gracias a Dios. No. <laughs> Aguanta, yeah, agu aguantando todavía. Aguantando todavía, ya tú sabes. <laughs> Y'all, I am so excited to talk with Nico Ray today. Nico and I met last year in Sao Paulo, Brazil at the Churrascada Barbecue Festival. And the moment I met him, he was just such a burst of light. And, you know, we had such a great time together and we laughed, we drank, we ate barbecue. We talked all things about Ireland and Jamaica and, of course, New Orleans and just all of his travels and wherever he goes. He's just always bringing so much beauty, life, and laughter. So I would love for you to introduce you to, to introduce yourself to our listeners, Nico. Jesus, that was quite the introduction there. Don't I? Hopefully, I can I can I can I can, I can live up to all these expectations now. <laughs> so yeah, Nico, uh, I'm from Dublin. Um, mother's side of the family are Jamaican, and father's side probably haven't left Ireland since the Ice Age, um, grew up there and um, and spent uh, the guts of seven years down in the beautiful city that is Buenos Aires, the capital of Argentina. And now I'm currently living in London, uh, doing my thing over here, looking out a window at the rain come down on the cloudy, cloudy London sky. Wow. Um, I'd love for you to talk about just your childhood and growing up in Ireland and being of mixed heritage and what that was like and just how you came about to, you know, the food world and, mm. you know, so what are some of your food memories as a child? Um, yeah, so it's kind of, there was, when I was growing up um, in the 90s, Ireland wasn't, doesn't have, it didn't have the level of, uh, in lack of a better word, the diversity, but the, the immigration was coming in. Ireland really wasn't a strong economic power to attract different people to be coming in, and in, no, in larger numbers like it does around the world. My father and my mother met in London and moved back to Ireland in 86. So growing up, there wasn't many people, I guess, that looked like me around. But culturally, I've never really identified anything else other than Irish, but... There's always just that other thing that there, that heritage that you can't ever deny. Um, I always say to myself, say, say that I'm 
you know, Irish with Jamaican roots and a dual heritage that way. And um, talking things on the plate, especially because I do cook and I'm a chef that it's always, there's always just been that little bit of spice in me that always, that need just to get that little bit of flavor that was maybe wasn't in homogeneous Irish food. Um, So I grew up kind of mixing those flavors and mixing myself. But, you know, with that kind of thing, you're always... You're kind of part of the culture. You're not. You're you're very aware that your your faces don't match the your face doesn't match the faces of the the freedom fighters or the people in the Irish and the, the Irish myths and legends. And you know, for me, there's never there was never any kind of need to throw myself into that because you know, kind of was aware of where I stood in Irish culture and that in that kind of way of you know, um, like a new face or a new a new shade of person into uh, the Irish history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I think you can speak to a lot of, you know, mixed folks out there from different backgrounds and heritage, especially, you know, in this generation with so many people, you know, intermarrying and, you know, merging cultures. And the Irish and Jamaican are highly spirited people, you know, highly cultural, highly cultural people. Yeah, two small islands make a big impact on the world. They do, they do, and I think um, you know it just it just it it, it it kind of shows who you are, right? And your style of food um, at Chudascala, you know, you made some incredible food, you know, and I just want to kind of talk about your food memory and just your journey to kind of like, you know, showcase Irish and Jamaican cuisine. Yeah, so for me the um idea of the dual uh heritage starts a lot in i mean irish and jamaican there's one thing they have in common in modern culture is this the idea of the diaspora and that diaspora cooking i mean it's always just an echo of something like a whisper that just kind of came before there's always that kind of certain flavor the the smell or this like a certain ingredient might have to be changed because it's not found locally but for me that kind of cooking started with my grandmother um, and when she'd come over to visit Ireland, she'd always come with, you know, a couple of liters of the Scotch bonnet sauce that she always used to make. She'd just make liters and liters and liters of it. And she used to come over to Ireland and, you know, that stuff lasts for years if you're brave enough uh, to kind of just <laughs> scrape the end of the bottle after it goes a bit gray. But um, I would always kind of mix that with the, with the f- like fresh Irish ingredients and try to find the right balance. And I loved introducing that um and we were talking, you know, early 2000s, 90s, that we don't have the the same myriad of different kind of restaurants and stuff that we do now. So I was always kind of really interested in bringing those flavors and those spices to different palates and, you know, kind of getting a, a different eye on it and then moving forward. But then I took those two, the Irish and the Jamaican cooking down to Argentina and it became this whole other thing entirely. Mm, talk to me about Argentina, because as you all noticed in the beginning, um, you know, we spoke Spanish together. Um, I lived in Cuba for a little bit, you know, and I grew up in Chicago and uh, around Puerto Ricans. So, you know, I, it's, it means that Latino heritage means a lot to me. And my, my sons are also half Cuban. So, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in Latin America and that's something that we have in common, our love, um, you know, for Latin culture. And I would love for you to talk about, you know, just your time in Argentina and how that shaped who you are. Because how many years did you spend in Argentina? Uh, about six and a half years, seven years, almost in and around there. Okay. And to talk to us about the experience of Argentina, because Argentina has a huge, you know, um, culture, kind of barbecue culture. Oh, jeez. Yeah. Just you can't, you can't move for it. It's everywhere. It's on the streets. It's on the balconies. It's in the parks. It's just everywhere. It's just about that. No, you're now just you're the one thing that just really attracted to me almost instantly. I arrived, this is to, back 2011, and it was November time, so it was just the start of spring down there. And the weather was, you know, 27 degrees Celsius, breezy. Everybody was just happy to be out and alive, and it was just this kind of enchanting energy I'd never really experienced before. I was, you know, I was in my early 20s, and um, I was supposed to be there for two months. And after about three days, I said to myself, yeah, I, I think I might just, should I, should I live here? 
And then <laughs> I know we 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 all get that little temptation when you go to a new place and you kick your legs back and you know the 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 cocktails are nicely chilled and the the, the, sh- <laughs> the, the shade and you kind of just get enchanted in it and that instantly happened to me and then um, I went home for a bit got a bit of money together and then moved back permanently two thousand twelve but it was the it was, it was just something about the pace of life there that just I hadn't really hadn't really seen before um you know because everybody you know it's the common culture which i think every culture should should just instill in some way just kind of nap in the middle of the day and then you have a whole new day to to to, uh to linger into the night with a dinner on a dinner table that's five like everybody's sitting there for five hours just drinking wine shooting the breeze and you know just enjoying the fact that they're with each other Nice, nice. Yeah, that's it, that's a beautiful culture. They do that in um in lots of Latin American cultures, Mexico included. I mean, I, I just remember being a little girl, and I was living in Mexico for a little bit when my dad was uh, working there, and um I remember everything was shut down. And as a kid, you're like, "Why is everything shutting down? I want to play some more." So, so every, everybody, <laughs> everybody snoozing. Um, <laughs> I, I still do it today. A nap after lunch or before dinner is the sweetest song your soul can sing. The sweetest thing ever. I want to talk about your grandmother too, because you all, I, on your Instagram page, there's this amazing video of your grandmother, like, you know, just giving you feedback on some on dishes that you made. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah. All grandmothers have that, you know, like, yeah, you need a little bit more. It's just a pinch of this. It's a pinch of that. It's never written down. You're always just trying to replicate it. I mean, there's there's also the flavor of nostalgia that you're never, ever going to be able to replicate. But, yeah, that was for a, a series I filmed last year. We filmed a series about easy-to-follow barbecue recipes, and um, she was in one of the episodes showing me how to make the sauce, and I just... And it was, I think it was the only part of the whole, the whole shoot we did that actually just wasn't scripted. But, uh, you know, you're, when you're doing those shows, you're <clears throat> repeating lines or you're waiting for the camera crew to get there, uh, to get the right focus. So you're kind of stopping and start. But that was just a, a nice, easy flow. And to, I don't know, to do something like that with her and have it immortalized in that way is just something I will never, ever regret or forget. Of course, of course. Now, have you spent time in uh, Jamaica? Do you get to go there often? We're all here. I'm due a trip in October. I'm going to go down in okay. October time. But that side of my family, is all, they're all here over in London because, mm-hmm. again, we're talking about these diaspora, um, like the, the diaspora cooking and stuff, which is is interesting enough the, the with the Irish and Jamaican. It's, I always kind of revert back to you know there's a, a kind of a, i think a misconception we have in history with these kind of things of these kind of migrations and trades that that they didn't happen before but they just happened at a slower pace like there's a figure i've read and it's 25 percent of jamaicans are ethnically irish mm-hmm. um and you know, they, there's a slang for Gansey, which is the Irish word for uh, jumper. So there's all these kind of relics. And it's interesting when it, these kind of relics and things come back to the other world. And, um, you know, the Jamaican cooking here, you could go down to, to South London, down to Brixton, and you, you just it's just going to be all Jamaicans. And uh, so that kind of stuff just kind of keeps you keeps you motivated as well when the, when the rain starts to fall and you're not in a, not in a Palm Beach. Because if I'm not mistaken, there were Irish, um, you know, kind of indentured servants sent to Jamaica. Am I correct? You're very correct. So that was before, you can probably know more than me, but from my understanding is it was, there was, it was a big rebellion in Ireland in the 16th century and by a, one of the most hated men in Irish history known as Oliver Cromwell killed tens and thousands of people just, but he cleared out a whole area of Ireland and the, his refrain or his tagline was either to hell or Barbados. So just death or you're getting on the boat. And it was before the time of the, when the, the sugar cane before it became really popular. Um, the Irish were sent down there and, you know, the Irish being Irish, they didn't last too long in the sun or the, or the malaria killed them off. So, um, that was, yeah, the interesting mixture of culture. That's the, the kind of one of those things of, you know, these relics of time, there's an island there that's called Montserrat. 
And it's the only other island in the world that celebrates St. Patrick's Day as its national holiday. They, they, there's Kelly's O'Rourke's, there's O'Brien's, but they, you know, they still have that uh, West Africa, West African, um, West African features to them. Fascinating, fascinating. And I know that you do a lot of festivals as well in Europe. Um, mm. Can you talk about just some of your experiences in doing festivals and in Europe, you know, because we're in the States and, you know, we have um, a lot of chefs that, you know, participate in festivals this weekend in New Orleans is our jazz festival. So, you know, mm. for some of our chefs here, they do it like 20, they've been doing it for 20, 25 years. And you're welcome to come to New Orleans anytime. Oh, girl, I'm going to hit you up. I'm going to arrive at my suitcase you and I'm going to be there. Yes, I know, I do. I know. I keep saying it to myself. God, yes, it's a place I need to, to see. You have to come. <laughs> no, but back to the festivals. You know, I'm just curious. So I know, you know, you were at Churrascala. Uh, was that mm. your first time at Churrascala? That was my first time in Brazil, fully enough, even though living, living down there for that long. I never made it, uh, never made it that further north. Wow. And what were some of your impressions just, you know, in comparison, not comparing any festivals in Europe, but just what were your takeaways for, and, and just what they're doing in Brazil as far as um, the culinary in, scene? In comparison, gee, yeah, geez, I ate well. I was, we were there for four days, ate well. Not barely fit on the plane, had to pay the extra, had to pay the extra baggage <laughs> for my belly. God, like instantly went, yeah, it was, um, <clears throat> I don't, I'd like, it's hard to be just surprised when you have no expectations. So right. you kind of go into there with an open mind, but I knew Brazil was obviously famed for its meat. I think the Argentine style is better than what I saw down there. That's just uh -huh. kind of my, my, my being biased, I guess. But Jesus Christ, I have, there's some stuff I hadn't seen down there ever. Like remember that there was that like cage thing. It looked like a big Madonna video. There was, <laughs> there was, there was, things hanging out of it and people around it just kind of just marveling at it, it looked like a, a world's fair or something and, and the I wheels and it was Gustavo. I yeah. Gustavo and he, uh, you know, I told him that he had the Willy Wonka barbecue festival and he had a big laugh off of that. <laughs> yeah, it was, Jesus, it was like a big adult playground or what it was. Everybody just walking around drinking beer. The Brazilians like, like a good drink. Um, but, you know, there's some stuff that I would uh you know there's there's some stuff in your life that you never even put it on put put it on a list because you don't know it existed you know the some of the indigenous cooking we saw down there the you know the passion for it was it's great to see and that's the thing with with those um circuits and when you, you kind of keep meeting the same people over and over again you're you know you're you're always there's always going to be something you're gonna you're just gonna say geez i didn't i i wouldn't even know to ask google that question you 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 find these little snippets of information just through it could be sitting down having a beer with someone or just a, like a three minutes three minute conversation like polite conversation but you know they're always a good time and you know i think it's one of those things you don't really get called back if you don't do a good job talking about indigenous culture i remember um seeing some gauchos uh perform you know and i'm sure you saw a lot of that in argentina can you mm. you know talk a little bit about that that culture the gaucho culture um i don't want to give you any expert opinions on it but from what i see see these they're very it was very it was a it was a pride that i you can recognize in a lot of a lot of different cultures around the world and it was a pride of you know, and very simplistic and basic things that there was no mater real materialism to it. It was just the horses and the barbecue, the the asado, the meat, um, and just, like, like I mean, it's just one of those kind of romantic notions of sitting under the stars with your with your horses waiting for your meal to cook is is one of those uh, you know one of those images that um, you know if I had the the, the time or the placement, I'd like to. Uh, put myself in but you know those kind of um things permeate through the the rest of society as well that kind of that respect of what you're doing and and how to do it right because i think with the especially with the gauchos they're the kind of you know the goal standard of making these kind of dishes or making these kind of events and uh you know everybody can draw inspiration from what they because you know as a society starts to contemporize you 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 move, you move away from you move, start to move more into convenience and start moving away from those uh kind of core ideals so yeah they're really it's really cool to see i mean it's almost like a 
you know, it's you, 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 when you were when you're in those kind of city, you always you always feel like the uh, you know the tourist with the with the map out, and you're like, oh my god, there's a there's an actual gaucho kind of thing. <laughs> because like, no, it's just a person cooking meat, you know. But you know, it's it's when you're going into these kind of things, it's hard not to feel like that. It's it's and it's, it's I think it's just one of those harmless things. But it's uh, you know, it's always it's always great to see those um, mm. those things in person. So that, that, you know, like now, that, that true, true authenticity. Absolutely. As, as much I as I hate to, as much as I hate to use that word, but no, but it's, it's real. I mean, you know, in, in comparison to our food systems in the U S you know, um, where a lot of our food is, you know, genetically modified and, you know, just part of this kind of, you know, globalized processed, you know, system for us, it's very refreshing, you know, even going to Europe and, you know, seeing, you know, a place like Ireland is super lush and, you know, and like you said, how you try to merge, you know, your herbs, Irish herbs and, you know, and just things from the land and your food is, I think, um, what, you know, fascinates us because we, we want that again, I believe. Yeah, in this aspect with Ireland, um, it's interesting because I don't. I can't, again, another word I don't want to use, but it's because it's not a renaissance. It's 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 a renaissance or implied a rebirth. It's what's happening in Irish food at the moment is because with Irish history um, after the Great Hunger in the mid nineteenth century, half the population either starved or had to leave. So food culture wasn't really. It was. It wasn't really. There was no progression from then, and a lot of Irish culture is is poverty and, um, you know, terrible, terrible mm-hmm. cataclysmic incidences of whether it be, you know, the, the driving out of the British or 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 famines or plagues and things like that. So what we're having now is a lot of Irish people have realised, you know, well, in the last thirty forty years that we've got this magnificent island where. The, the, there's 50 shades of green in every corner in the in the uh, the countryside and we're an island but we, people are just starting to figure out not figure out but become more interested or intrigued of the the maritime culture that again was um stunted by uh, colonial rule so people are starting to rediscover the uh you know the things that were were, were lost to them so name some of your favorite Irish dishes. My some of my favorite Irish dishes. I mean, let's start from the start. It's a good solid breakfast, like an Irish breakfast on a Sunday, a Sunday at around half eleven, when you've had a more than your fill of pints the night before, and you know there's the the sausage, <laughs> the bacon, the, the the white pudding, the black pudding, um, which are kind of, which are the which which the white pudding, the black pudding. They uh, separated from the English fry, which doesn't have those two things. Um, you know what the pudding is, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Could you explain yeah. to our listeners who, who aren't familiar? So, yeah, so pudding comes from it. It's a kind of, if you've heard of haggis, it's kind of a, a variation that a lot of culture, Scottish culture is based on Irish culture, but it's uh, sheep blood and fat mixed with uh, usually oats or barley um, and then encased in uh, like a sausage intestine and boiled but then you you can you, you fry it again and it just tastes absolutely delicious well to me anyway <laughs> and, then, and then yeah the bacon and the eggs and then one of my favorite things to I always come home is the, just a big fried fish and chips is something that's always going to have a a, a close a close uh, affinity to my heart nice fresh mm. cod smothered mm. in smothered in salt and vinegar and, and a big bowl of chips mm. but, that sounds yummy yeah, i love but, fish and chips uh, i always it's just something like this. it's one of those things you eat them and it's like oh fish and chips together at last for god <laughs> <laughs> it, you know it it it, it, it took what three hundred thousand years of human evolution to arrive at fish and chips <laughs> <laughs> i'm glad I, i'm glad i live at that time it's unreal <laughs> uh, and then things like i mean the, the the stews there's a dublin dish called a coddle which would be 
like boiled sausages and um, boiled potatoes and boiled vegetables and things like that. But you know, a lot of our Irish cooking traditionally is is peasant food. But what we do have in abundance is uh, a the proximity of the farm to your fork is is unlike anywhere. And like unlike many nations in the world, you know, in, in some shops they have the addresses of uh, the farmers that um, mm. where the food is coming from, and that that would be in like the you know the convenience stores. Um, so there's all, and great dairy products from all that green green grass we have just mm-hmm. are, are like like mus- mussels, some fresh mussels with some some um, mustard seeds soaked in stout mixed with some fried butter and some shallots just just that a pint mm. of guinness and you'd be happy mm. i'm glad that you mentioned guinness you know talk to us a little bit about beer culture in ireland yeah so, so there's a thing with guinness right i am not convinced people drink guinness to get drunk people just i, I mean getting drunk is eventually going to be the outcome but because uh, again, a lot of Irish culture is based around kind of sitting down and having a few drinks and maybe a song and the guitar comes out and then the fiddles come out and the next thing you know, there's nine people on the table dancing and then everybody's clapping and singing and it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an all round it's a blast. But um, <clears throat> but yeah, I mean, there's definitely a. The drinking culture of Guinness. It, I remember when I was a kid, uh, you know, working in the bars and stuff. That you know, if you pour a Guinness wrong, someone's not going to drink Wait, it. Wait, you were working at a bar when you were a kid? I say, <laughs> I, I say, kid, sixteen, seventeen. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's not, 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 not like a Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> I was just thinking, I was like thinking of little Nico, like starving yeah. Guinness. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I say, kid, about six, sixteen, seventeen. But, uh, you know, you're pouring a pint of Guinness and, you know, if you don't get the head right, if you don't get the, the settle right, someone's not going to take it off because there are so many different subtle variations in that drink that, I mean, there's one class of people say it doesn't matter. There's other class of people that will say it absolutely matters. For example, I actually don't drink it in this city in London because uh, it usually just comes out a bit shite. Um, mm. And it... Um, it it always, yeah, it always just goes, goes back to that. You have a, it's, there's a, there's a saying like the pint of plain is your only man. Hmm. Hmm. But again, again, there's the dark side of Irish culture of like, there's an expression. I was having a conversation with a friend recently and to say someone is an alcoholic, like, I mean, you know, an, an alcoholic, the, the, the term in Irish culture was, he is f- fond of the dr- fond of the drink, <laughs> and just puts such just it, it just puts such a lightness on something that can be so devastating. Oh yeah, he's fond of the drink. And the question was, <laughs> it, 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 it was popular saying back in like seventies, eighties, I presume back <clears throat> to when people started talking to each other. But my question always was like, how fond does someone have to be on the drink? in Ireland to be deemed an alcoholic. Like what's uh, every country right. that, 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 that cultural relativism to it. Of... Right. That, I mean, you know, but, but I think it, because, you know, I, the Irish are so poetic. <laughs> I mean, you all are, I really believe that you all are poets and in, in, in the way that you, you know, use language. The Scottish are very, you know, similar in that way as well. You know, so yeah. I'm sure that saying just came out of poetry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's 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 interesting because my my father now would speak, um, and his grand his grandfather would have spoken kind of in direct translations of Irish um, in English, but in direct translations of Irish, like to say in Irish when you'd say to say hello to someone, you'd say "konasatatu," um, which be which now would translate have as "how are you," "konasatatu." But the direct translation would be, what way are you? And um, um, so, he, what way are you? But And there's no, in, in English, you are hungry. In Spanish, tengo hambre, like I have hunger. Mm-hmm. In Irish, you'd say, ta ocras orum, which means hunger is on me. And it starts, mm-hmm. to, and then it starts to get more dramatic because uh, ta ocras on daum orum. In English translation, mm-hmm. we are very hungry, but in the Irish translation, directly would be the hunger of the world is upon me. Wow! <laughs> but I was, That's I was looking. I was, it's funny you mention that because of this. Like again, we talk about the these 
things embedded in different cultures. Because I, 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 I've always been fascinated about the, these different type parts of culture. That also, let me let, let me start it this way. There's the discovered the new world all the different foods that started coming to europe and you know some of them took hundreds of centuries to get get there or different cultures might have adapted them obviously with ireland it's the potato but that is about 300 years of history and it becomes you know the most dominant thing in irish uh in culture you know you say you say to anyone on the street name three things about ireland someone's going to say potato mm-hmm. and i'm interested i was just something like what's that 20 year period in irish history where that was introduced, what, mm. what what was happening there. And we go back to the language, like, you know, the expression you dig. Yeah, you know, absolutely. They say so, that in New Orleans, actually. Yeah, that, comes, <laughs> that comes from the Irish, nihigumdum, which means I don't understand you. And, wow. and then it's, I think as far as I read, it was, came out of uh, places like New York where, um, uh, black Americans and Irish started mixing in, you know, the, the yeah. lower caste neighborhoods and the Irish would be like, nee, hickam, them. I don't understand. And like, oh, you dig? And it comes, it kind of comes through that. And um, holy cow comes from holy cow, um, which are kind of wow. just explicit, explicative. And then uh, gee whiz comes from gia us, which means like noble father. Now, see, when you said holy cow, that kind of brought back memories of gr- me growing up in Chicago because, you know, Harry Carey, the Cubs, he always had holy cow. He would always say holy cow. There's also like by the House of Blues, you know, a big bar that's dedicated to him. And Chicago has such a huge Irish population. And I just mm. have fond memories of my dad's best friend, John Casey, and literally in, in their home, they have a picture of his best friend, John Casey, meeting with the Pope. And that was like a, the biggest oh. moment of his life. And I just remember him a goal, That's a gold star for any Catholic. Like, that's, that's a the, gold star. <laughs> <laughs> like a, a, that's like a Kardashian for a 12-year-old. <laughs> right, right. Listen. And I mean, I just remember him just, you know, drinking, you know, stout in the, in the living room and just talking about that moment, you know, and I'm sure for him as an Irish Catholic from Chicago, that was, you know, just generations waiting for that moment. Oh, that's the last, that's the last tick on the box. Like, like your, 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 your bird, your bird sighting or something, your bird right? watching. <laughs> right. And even here in New Orleans, you know, I know that you said, you know, you did comes from New York, but you know, we also had, um, an Irish, um, you know, Irish population here as well. We have the Irish Channel, you know, they built the um, the bridges, you know, mm. a, a lot of um, Irish, you know, were here at one time and Sicilians, you know, mm. so in that in living in um, neighborhoods and proximity to African-Americans, of course, those cultures, you know, those cultures would, you know, influence each other. Yeah. And it's, and then it's, it's, it's just that, that that's always just interests me, like the, those like, you know, 20 years or a generation where afterwards someone just says no but we've always done this and right. uh, to kind of the, those whispers of the past is kind of you don't really know why you do it but you just do it because you know culture not dictates that's too, too too much of a powerful word but you know the culture almost nurtures it in you Right. Well, we're going to be back in a few minutes. We have to um, thank our advertisers and we're going to talk to Nico more about his life in London and some of the media projects that he's worked on and the ones that he's working on right now in London. So we'll be back on Culture and Flavor. Thanks for joining us. I'm just going to give a second. Let me take a swig of water. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick. 
with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. So we're back with Nico, and I would love to talk to you about your life in London and just, you know, some of the media projects that you're working on, because you are a, um, you know, some of your social media posts on Instagram, um, you know, share some of the things that you've done as well as what you're doing now. Why did you move to London? I mean, London, as we know, is just such a cosmopolitan city and the world is in London, um, Mm. you for our listeners who might not know, um, but it's always been a very diverse, you know, place. But talk to us about, you know, what you're doing um, in London. Um, so I moved over. Uh, oh, Jesus, I, it, first of all, it's a city I avoided and hated with a lot of a lot of myself for many many years. It was too big. It was full of people. Um, but you know, when I, I moved over here, I, I think I moved over here kind of at the end of the when the restrictions started uh, lifting and I kind of saw it through a different a different light and uh yeah I mean it's just one of those cities you can do anything you want to feed your soul or or uh or or or, or, or bring your sins together in in a short amount of time um but what I've just loved about it is there's a couple of things I just love about it is every inch of this space has been used for something and there's a kind of a playground for creativity. Everybody's um, everybody's just really enthusiastic in the city, and I kind of something I've met a lot of Londoners in my life, and there's always just this great enthusiasm to them about to kind of just get something done and do it. Um, that's kind of why I stayed. And actually, it's working out cheaper to live here than in Dublin at the moment. <laughs> Dublin's, <gotten> quite, <laughs> Dublin's got quite expensive. Um, really? Yeah. Um, so I kind of just said I'd give give it a couple of years to see how I felt about it. And I've got family here. It's a short flight to Dublin. And I'm trying at the moment to kind of replicate the trajectory that I went in Ireland um, with... Uh, the cooking and the media, the media stuff I've been doing for over the last couple of years, because um, this all kind of really happened during the um, during the lockdowns restrictions. I got into the media stuff. I was I was days away from signing the loan to take out to set up a restaurant in Dublin. Mm-hmm. Now this is uh, like the tenth of March, twenty twenty twenty. You know, since someone decided to eat a bat. And we all sat down for two years. Um, and I moved over to, or then I kind of got out of that. And then, you know, I was on a, like everyone else, of there's, I know, just a plethora of different stories out there. The first time everybody was in the, yeah, the exact same situation. of, But I started doing the media stuff and um, I was kind of the, of the mindset of, you know, like, listen, what else am I going to do? I'll just get, guess I'll started getting these offers and one thing led to two, two things led to three. And then I've kind of left it the, th- the thing. I was on that show, um, Fuck That's Delicious with Action Bronson. I saw that. That was and so cool. Yes. Well, that was just a random message on the restaurant was featured, fortunately, on a on his show in season four. And there was just a random message one Thursday. I was doing the pop-up restaurants. Um, I do a pop-up restaurant for like three months. And then because I was doing a lot by myself, I'd kind of get, you know, burnt out. And they hit me up and said, we do this show. And I said, that sounds great. And we filmed it. <laughs> and then it came out. And then one producer saw it. I did one thing. One thing led to two. Two things led to four. And then before I really knew it or kind of had any strategy of how to approach it, um, I was yeah it was kind of taking up most of my time and we've i've just i just actually last week finished up a second series of a a barbecue show Uh, yeah it was it was great um no so season two it's nice to know somebody believes in you (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know it's 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 you know even though when you don't believe in yourself these kind of 
kind of things um you know there's a production team behind you and everybody's you know everybody's there for the same job mm-hmm. but um yeah now it's a kind of a matter of i kind of just need to get back into the cooking now because i uh i think there's a whole cohort of people that might just see me have seen me on maybe a glimpse or on the television or maybe on social media that I actually forget that i can actually you know, do some cooking as well and i'm actually starting to forget it i haven't done i haven't, I haven't done it that much in the last little while um so but I, yeah. I believe that you have a great skill um and uh, your personality you're definitely have it just jumps off the screen as well as you know just in person um i appreciate I that think, thank you yeah for sure you know and i i do believe you um speak to a lot of mixed heritage folks out there, you know, who are, and, you know, and travelers, right. Cause you travel a lot, you know, um, and just you being able to take a little piece of something with you, you know, when you, when you leave it. Right. Um, but it's always there for you. So, you know, I would love for you to maybe just talk about, you know, the London scene as well. Maybe just, you know, I know you talked about it being a scene, uh, in, a, in a, a city that is open to creatives. I've heard that before. Um, I haven't been to London in a, ooh, a minute, um, but I, I do have a friend who was just there and she was, she's an artist and she was talking just about how supported she felt as a creative, you know, and that you, they do have that spirit of, you know, let's get it done. Like, what do you need? Which is, you know, what all creatives need. Right. Mm. Um, so, exactly, you know, yeah. And it, yeah. And, you know, London is, full of markets and cultures and oh, it's, it's, you know, it's, Nigerian, it's, Jamaican, I, everything. Yeah, they're, 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 they're like the nearest market to myself there. I tried to get there in, in the morning, um, you know, to, to have a place. I, like most of the city is, is cashless, but it's the only those markets you just get the, um, um, you get, you know, you're still paying in pounds and everything else. But yeah, it's 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 just got that. You could just walked into a random area, and then it's just like I lived on the street there, and it was all Cypriot, uh, Cypriot Turks. So it was just like mm. Cypriot Turkish restaurants, and then you you walk a couple of minutes, a couple of few minutes down the road, and then it was just all Filipino restaurants, and all kind of everybody kind of sharing these little areas together, and uh going into the markets and it's jamaicans nigerians uh, ghana uh, pakistani indian uh mm-hmm. english all just kind of there sh- selling their wares and that's to me that's that's what um, britain is maybe definitely not englishness but britain britain is 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 that kind of because a lot of these people you know their parents might have come from when these were all part of the british empire they would have, would have considered themselves british you know Mm-hmm, so that there's mm-hmm. like those those are the kind of cult, cultural legacies that still live on here. I mean, and then you think like you know the Vindaloo was invented in uh, I think it was in Glasgow, um, mm-hmm. and I think so again, yeah. And then you know it's like the, the, the like you're li- constantly just licking the cultural melting pot. <laughs> uh, and so you know, I know that they that they've been working. Um, you know, some chefs out there. Uh, you know, Gordon Ramsay, other top chefs, you know, in the UK have been working to kind of revitalize uh, English, you know, cuisine. But I'm curious, you know, about the festivals, because I think you were in, it was, is it Meatstock Festival that's out in London? Meat, 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 Meatopia. Meat, okay. What, what, t- tell me a little bit about that festival. Yeah, it's a great location. Um, it's in, uh, East London, where a lot of the old docks were, so it's in an area where they used to bring all the tobacco in, called the, called the tobacco mm-hmm. dock. And that was my first time. I did it two years ago. This is my first time doing it, and yeah, it was it was it was my first. It was the first time I actually did anything in London. And um, you know, you're you new kid on the block. You kind of wait and make the great, the, the good impression. You know, you you, uh, you had me outside. It was remember it was a nice beautiful day. I cooked jerk lamb um, with like a a Caribbean style slaw, mm. and um, yeah, that was good. Smoked it, smoked it, and then seared it. Keep it, keep it nice and juicy and moist. But um, they they do their best to kind of keep everything. So they don't want to call themselves a barbecue festival. They they're more of kind of the open fire um, kind of festival. So mm-hmm. it carries a similar connotation, but it's the kind of same same, but a little bit different. So. 
there was all sorts of stuff there where there was you know a guy from Birmingham uh, that does uh, spent a lot of time in Mexico and he does these kind of tacos and then you know English English Filipino or uh, Anglo Anglo Jamaicans or Anglo Turks and um, yeah it's I mean like any festival in the world you you walk around and you you, you walk in and you roll out mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so I, I can hear you know in my head um, I have a, a colleague that's a Jamaican professor and I can hear in my head, wait a minute, you forgot to ask him about, you know, your favorite Jamaican dishes. So I, I want to make sure I ask that because I asked you what your favorite Irish dishes are. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, it's the, it's the patty. Like it's just one of the most faithful things you could ever eat. <laughs> it's just always there for you. Um, I mean, it's just my grandmother when she used to come over is one of those dishes that always used to stuck, stick with me she used to make them and then she just used to roll them out and roll them out and then I could put them in the freezer when she left and then it'd just be this thick the constant taste of the minced beef patties that uh, your grandma makes and you know you walk around the city and there's parts of them where they're everywhere and you know mm. when you're, you know, I'd say one is a snack maybe two is a meal Mm, you're making me hungry. I'm, I, I might have some Jamaican <laughs> food tonight. <laughs> Jamaican, yeah, those patties, they come in, yeah, like they stay just, here, they come in the clutch. <laughs> oh, yeah, crispy, buttery, and then the spice hits you while the steam is still going up your nose. It's just a, it's a beautiful sight. <clears throat> mm, and I think I remember, I'm not sure if you told me this, but I want to make sure, did, you told me that you lived in Los Angeles for a minute or you were visiting Los Angeles? Uh, I visited Los Angeles. I was in the US recently, actually. I was in Boston. I got myself oh, uh, wow. over to Boston. Yeah, I filmed a, a show, a travel show over in Boston at the start of the summer or start of the winter. Okay. And uh, yeah, that was a city that really took me by surprise. Again, I had no expectation. That's a nice, that's a nice pretty city. I like that city. Yeah, Boston is nice. My sister used to live in Boston. Boston is really nice. That, obviously, a huge Irish uh, population there, mm. you know, and culture. I mean, that. The majority of Irish, you know, Irish Americans moved to Boston and New York. So, um, you know, and their culture is strong there. Yeah, it's interesting. My impression of it was with that was, um, I mean, again, again, going going back to the diaspora conversations, the Irish that moved there, and because we, we get a lot of Irish Americans that have traced their lineage back to the, my father's side of the family, and it's interesting because. You know, you talk about these different, like Irish American culture is very different to Irish culture because it's based on. I saw this a lot in in Buenos Aires because that city is just, even when it was built, it was built to be nostalgic. You know, you walk through it and parts of it look like Madrid, parts of it look like England or London, parts of it look like Paris. Uh, mm-hmm. Even when it was built, it was built to be nostalgic. But when you're talking about Boston, it was, you know, when people were moving over there, their image or their culture is based on what Irish culture was a hundred years ago. And it's kind of, it's gone on that divergence. So it's interesting to kind of see when those two things meet again, what, what, what actually happens. You know, people have the, the two different um, accents of the same thing. of the same yeah. Voice. yeah. And I think it's, you know, how people in the diaspora, you know, who are descendants, keep it alive. Right. Um, every year in Chicago, they, they, you know, put a dye, a green dye on St. Patty's Day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen that. They did they, yeah. they did that they they did that in Dublin once and I don't know they I don't know how they messed it up. The the dye ended up st- staying there and it, it just turned like it, it, it didn't oh, really no. move and like weeks later it turned this like vomit like green or like this vomit like sludgy sludgy green. Oh no <laughs> but if there's if, if there's one piece of advice I could ever give to anybody going to Ireland on St Patrick's Day is do not go to Dublin. You won't you won't mm. have a good time. Get yourself mm. down to a smaller city or a, a, one of the, the one of the smaller towns. Hmm. I mean, you know, and maybe you have some travel tips for us since you travel a lot and you did that travel show. Could you give us some travel tips or places that we could that you know you consider? Um, you know, it's your top favorite places to travel to in Europe or Ireland or wherever. Oh, let's start with what I know. Uh, if you're going to Ireland, you know, I mean, obviously you fly in, but listen, there's not, there's, you can see most of it in a, in a day and a bit, but 
if you get yourself down to, if you have the luxury of going out, out to the west of the country or, or down to the south of the south coast, every image or postcard or romantic notion you have about the country, you will see with your own eyes just cliffs that go on and sprawl and touched by the rays out of the breaking clouds and, um, you know, fresh food, friendly faces. Everyone's always down to hear your, hear your story and what you're doing. And that was one of those things I always find when I go to the US that, you know, it's, it's quite normal in Irish culture just to have a chat with someone just go, oh, how are you going? Oh, too bad. And you could have a, you know, it's, it's, it's not that off, off pitched to, uh, just to talk mm-hmm. to someone. I find that kind of find it here. It's not so much, but then you know, kind of kind of break the English down in their in their in their stiff in their in their stiffness. Um, mm-hmm. Don't be afraid. Never, never be afraid to talk to someone in Ireland because everyone's gonna everyone's gonna listen to you. For they'll they'll give you they'll give you the benefit of the doubt first until you, you give them a reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. But some of my favorite places in uh, Europe, I have a lot. I really like um, cities in Portugal, like. Porto or Lisbon are fantastic mm. cities. Um, mm-hmm. Great food, uh, small enough to walk around in a day. You don't have too much traveling. Small country and um, Amsterdam is another another favorite one of my cities. Um, I could see myself living there. In I don't know the next decade. I'd give it a give it a little shot. <laughs> um, <laughs> And yeah, I then always there's always the south of Italy as well. Just those those small little hamlets um, mm-hmm. with fre- fresh pasta and st- a stunningly beautiful populations. You know how how everyone gets anything done. Um, I guess they don't. <laughs> <laughs> They're kind of sitting around eating pasta all day. <laughs> oh man, I was at um the my took my students to Slow Food International at um Turin, Italy in September and it was just unbelievably gorgeous, you know, and just the food. I mean, it was incredible, you know. Funny enough, I don't think pasta or Italian food would be in my top five of like No. No, like I mean no. I, I listen, I love I, I, I love a good lasagna like any man, but Sure. 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 I, I mean some of the, I guess it depends on the restaurants that you go to, right? And the yeah. chefs that prepare it. You know, I think I was, we were there for a special occasion. Um, so I can't, you know, judge all Italian food, but I, I understand what you mean. You know, if that's your, if that's not top of your five. So what is your top five? I should ask. Um, barbecue, uh, the art, like the, just have a love with, love the, but the, you know, it, it's, it's funny. I'm not too um, versed, that well versed on like American style you know sure. um, like text i had a friend from texas he showed me a few things uh but then argentine style i love peruvian food so much mm, yes um, Me- uh, mexican Did you, have you been to peru no i'm, I'm tr- trying to get a t- t- i lived in a peruvian neighborhood in buenos aires where i kind of was again we're like where has this been all my life why didn't <laughs> why didn't no one right, tell me this right, existed right. like uh you know because that that's such a fascinating cuisine that it's you know every it's had a lick of all these different cultures like ceviche i think has only been there since the 50s after the second world right. war when japanese moved over there it has it's mm-hmm. again one of those things that you say like, oh this is peruvian now um and well the link between potatoes and you know potatoes peru and and ireland is huge you know yeah there you go i mean it's just yeah because yeah it's it's funny how it works and then i was having this conversation today it's like the potato comes from peru then all the italian or all the chip shops that would sell the fish and chips in ireland are actually italian they were originally brought over <laughs> by the italians and it's all these like cultural mixes and now some of those families have been there for a hundred years and they're all mm-hmm. they're all they're, they're, they're all still they've got their uh you know they've got their their, their namesakes there the local mm-hmm. chip shops mm-hmm. so you said okay let's back up so you said that the first one was peru um peru, another be the mexican mexican okay yeah, uh indian have you been to mexico i should I'm, going, I'm actually going in october Nice. What part? Yeah, uh, I'm going to. I'm actually doing a friend's wedding down. You know, cool. doing, doing, doing the ceremony. Yeah. Um, it's down near. Oh, geez, I should know where now. Down like by kind of Belize that direction. Mm, mm, okay. 
that Mexico is vast, so beautiful, so vast. I mean, the diversity is incredible. I was little. I lived there when my dad was uh, working there. And oh, wow. Then, uh, Guadalajara, Tlaquipaqui, and a small neighborhood called Tlaquipaqui. We lived in um, Guanajuato. We went all over um, Mexico because he was there um, at the time. Uh, the ex-president of Echeverria was um, had a, was trying to um, work on bringing more um, education around the African presence in Mexico. Okay. And so it was, you know, and just I just remember you know, growing up in Chicago, I have a hard, a uh, huge Mexican-American neighborhood and, you know, not just neighborhood, but, um, you know, citizens of Chicago. I mean, Mexican-American culture is everywhere. It's part of our food memory, you know, mm. to, to eat that. I, everybody eats tacos, everybody. But then going to Mexico and seeing the diversity of uh, their cuisine just always um, made me fall in love with Mexican culture even more. And I think you're going to really, 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 really love it. And hopefully you'll get to spend some time and really travel throughout the country because it is so vast and so amazing, you know. Any more recommendations for me then? Um, let me see. I, I, you know, it's, it's so much. I mean, definitely need to go to Mexico City. You know, Mexico City is definitely, um, you know, a place of – a paradise of food, and there's just so many different cultures there. Guanajuato. Um, I'm sure you know some of our listeners I'm will get hopefully fat. reach out to you. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna get fat. <laughs> tell you all places to go. You know, fat myself up like a winter goose. <laughs> yeah, right. So Yucatan, you know, is is bustling now. I mean, a lot of you know t- tourists are going there, but if you can, you know, w- work on finding places where you can find indigenous cuisine, you know, and also really try um, their food, Mayans, uh, you know, all of the, all of the, uh, you know, cultures that are there. I think you would really, really, really enjoy it. Oh, I'm sure I will. Yeah. Okay. So we did Peru, Mexico, and what's next? Um, I love uh, Indian food. Love Indian food. But always smash, smash a good, smash a good curry. Like just it's anything, just oh, all those different flavors and spices. Love Indian food, and it's so much more than just butter chicken. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, plenty of it. And, and, and it's it's um yeah. I'm not I'm not, I'm not too hard pressed to find it near me here. Of course, you're in London. Mm. And then okay, so the fourth one. Well, that's fourth Peruvian Argentine. Mexican, uh-huh. Argentine, I forgot Argentine. Okay. Yeah, and I, yeah, like Portuguese food, it's just not that varied Spanish, but then it would, I'd have to go to like this, just a solid um, Thai or uh, Southeast Asian cuisine is always is always a winner. Yeah, Thai food is amazing. Thai food is amazing. And I mean, it's, it kind of complements just, you know, who you are, the spices that you love. You know, I think it's maybe perhaps you always searching for your Jamaican heritage. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, I always like to, um, you know, ask when I'm eating something, ask myself, what is that? You know, I like that little question. Right. What is that? Hmm. Yeah. I, I think, you know, maybe the food that you love is, you know, maybe has to do with maybe you also, you know, just connecting back to your own palate, you know, of being Jamaican as well, you know, wanting that spice. Exactly. Yeah. There's, it's just, it's, it's, there's always just something missing. Well, what can we expect from you in the near future? What are you excited about or what do you, what would you love to do in the um, food world next? Uh, right now I'm in a kind of position where I've been doing not through any sort of, um, I've been kind of been doing other people's projects. Not that it's a bad thing. It's going to be around uh, professionals that kind of demand, not demand, but get that excellence out of you that they're kind of, because I, I feel like a lot of my life, I don't actually, <laughs> I don't do that too much. Um, mm-hmm. But I need to start 
kind of branching out and doing my own things and definitely with the kind of media stuff. So hopefully a YouTube channel um, in the next mm. couple of months. And nice. um, I'll be doing a lot of cooking this year around Ireland, the UK. And then hopefully at the end of the year in uh, some different locations around the world. But um, yeah, just still in one of those moments of just still figuring it out. Yeah. I'm sure you'll figure it out. I'm, we're not worried about it. And we're excited to see what Nico Ray does next. Um, and we want you to, you know, for people to follow you, where can they follow you on Instagram or so on social Instagram media is, pages? Yeah, it's Nico Reynolds. It's uh, Nico DeRay. And then I'm always kind of on that. And my restaurant is called Lil Porty, L-I-L-P-O-R-T-I-E. Pretty inactive at the moment, but I'll be getting back up. And uh, if anyone's close by, yeah, hit me up. Love it. Thank you so much. Muchas no, gracias. Abs abs absolute pleasure. Dina. Todo tu show. Ay, gracias. Gracias. Cuídate. Cuídate mucho y para adelante como un elefante. Ya tú sabes. We'll see each other soon. Uh, hopefully, hopefully. Absolutely. <laughs> so, thank you for joining Culture and Flavor with Zella Palmer. We look forward to many more episodes with some amazing guests. So, thank you for listening and make sure you hit the subscribe button. Culture and Flavor is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.